Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. Today is Tuesday, December 21st, and I'm your consumer goods host, Emily Flippin. Today, I am joined by Motley Fool analyst, Asit Sharma, as we reflect on not just our 2021 consumer goods basket, but also what it means to be a consumer goods investor at heart. Asit, thank you so much for joining, as always. Emily, thank you for having me. And Fools, before we get started, frequent listeners may already know this, but this is actually our last episode of industry-focused consumer goods and our second-to-last episode of industry-focused before we make our switch over to Motley Fool Money. And for those who don't know, in January, we'll be combining our amazing podcasts, including Market Foolery, Motley Fool Answers, and of course, Industry Focus, into one daily podcast that will air as a redesigned Motley Fool Money. We're really excited for the switch. Uh, I think it's going to be great. I know there's a lot of big brains working on it behind the scenes. But if you're not already subscribed to Motley Fool Money, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to us right now on Industry Focus, go do that right now. You're going to miss out if you don't. Uh, We really look forward to seeing you on Motley Fool Money in January. Um, And I, I should say, with that being said, you know, we're going to talk about this consumer goods basket that we put together at the beginning of the year in 2021, Osset. And I know a lot of investors who have been following these five companies we picked at the beginning of the year will be thinking, well, certainly you know, industry focus is no more because these stocks have done so <laughs> poorly. <laughs> and I want to clarify right off the bat that the performance of our CG basket had nothing to do with the decision making behind the scenes, despite the fact that, yes, our stocks have not had a great nine or 10 months. Yeah. And uh, I will say this was a very foolish basket we put together. And you and I both have uh, pretty long timeframes in investing, both for our portfolio personal portfolios and what we do at The Motley Fool. So, um, yeah, the, the stocks that we picked are down as a group in aggregate, but it doesn't reflect what I think the five-year performance of this basket is going to be. I, I, for one, am going to keep looking at it. We might revisit this at some point on <laughs> Motley Fool Money, uh, maybe uh, on a yearly basis or every couple of years at least. Uh, I think it's more, you know, uh, for, for this particular podcast, part of the greater strategy, I did ask Emily, is this a reflection on our stock picking ability? But I was told no. If that were the case, <laughs> we'd have two hours a week. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, for those fools who maybe didn't follow along with our basket or have since forgotten, our, our five CG stock basket at the beginning of the year, which was picked, if memory serves, I believe in February, which we'll talk about in a minute. But those businesses were Grocery Outlet, ticker GO, Beyond Meat, ticker BYND, Dollar General, DG, Sleep Number, SNBR, and Peloton, of course, PTON. And we'll talk about these companies probably at a broad scale. But I'll say out of that five, despite the fact that all of them except for one have lost money this year, only one of them, I think, thesis has dramatically changed, which is obviously Peloton. We can talk more about it. We have throughout the course of this year on industry-focused consumer goods. But when you reflect on those businesses, Asset, what stands out to you? I think what stands out to me, Emily, is that we picked some really great stocks with a lot of brand power. 
And that's another reason why I have confidence in this basket of our typical five-year holding period that we urge across services at The Motley Fool. If I looked at this basket today, and I actually had uh, recorded the dates, I think this was January 19th. We picked this in late January. If I looked back on today and saw a bunch of names that were sort of low quality, without brand value, without high customer satisfaction, then I'd be worried. Then it would feel more like this episode was a mea culpa. Hey, we messed up. I don't know what we were thinking. But that's not the case. That's the first thing that strikes me. The second thing is that each of these companies, uh, except for now maybe the, the the company whose thesis is a little broken, uh, still have, have very positive either cash flow or paths to cash flow. So uh, this is something that we've talked about through the year. The ability to be efficient with your assets to generate cash is always good when you're investing in the sector because you got to stay ahead of inflation. And really consistent growth of operating cash flows helps you do that. So I feel comfortable on those two fronts. What were your observations when you sort of looked back and and had a moment to reflect? One is, as we said at the beginning of the year, at least I said, um, I own all these companies. I bought them as soon as as I was legally allowed to after our podcast aired. Um, So I'm a shareholder in all these businesses. And um, for the most part, I am still big fans of these businesses. Reflecting on their performance, it's interesting to see what I think is a pretty significant divergence in terms of share price against business performance. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, Peloton withholding, uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But when I look at grocery outlet, Beyond Meat, Dollar General, Sleep Number, these are businesses that have had really wonderful 2021s that are, um, I believe Dollar General is the only one that's up about 6%, so still trailing the broader markets, but businesses that have had pretty strong years. Now, I think valuations have pulled back a bit, which is in some sense to be expected, but again, goes to show that three to five year time horizon for all these stocks. So it's a little bit sad, you know, grounding out what is, I guess, just under our first year looking at underperformance, but at the same time, reflecting on the fact that the thesis for these companies are still very much intact. Now, Peloton is one that I find myself waffling over. Um, I'm still a shareholder, of course, have no plans on selling anytime soon, if nothing else, for the interest in watching where this company goes. But I I acted maybe, I don't want to say against my better judgment, but against that little voice in my head that's always a pessimist, that's always a skeptic. And thought I was been I've been wrong about brand in the past. I saw metrics for Peloton still do that are industry leading, really impressive. I mean, churn with this business, monthly workouts, these things are really kind of revolutionizing the fitness industry. But I think what I missed was in that voice that is now screaming at me is, of course, people don't want to work out. And I, I don't know if that is your takeaway as well, Osset, but it does have me skeptical at the entire at-home fitness market, especially after seeing the pullback in Lululemon's quarter, if anybody follows that company. They pulled back guidance, cut it in more than half for expected mirror sales, their Peloton competitor. So it's something that is not Peloton-specific but is maybe rather representative of the entire at-home fitness industry. You know, Emily, when you follow a stock in a nascent industry like Connected Fitness, you find yourself looking at the metrics very carefully uh, at each earning season, each, each quarter. And then during the quarter, you'll look at other 
pieces of data. One that's attracted my interest is the resale prices of Pelotons on secondary markets. So people who want to move out of cities or just get rid of the Peloton because they're not using it. And I note that those are sort of dropping. So this is maybe one trend that might supplement your thinking on this idea that people at the end of the day don't like to work out. They'll maybe splurge for that uh, gym membership. They'll get out and take walks. But for a high-end purchase, so many people now are wondering, did I really need to spend this much on this piece of equipment? Now, to Peloton's favor, management has been gradually uh, decreasing their cost to produce these bikes, and they've dropped the price points on the bike. And if you look back even before the pandemic, that was always the strategy. Uh, is this still a super strong brand with great customer satisfaction? It is. And so is there a chance that this stock, which is our worst performer by far, it's down 75%. I have one more comment on, on that as well. Is there a chance for it to rebound? Well, certainly there is. Where I think both of us are questioning is this macro trend in the industry. How strong is that going forward? And also, you know, we've had our beefs with management. We devoted a whole, seems like one episode, just talking about how management handled the problem with the Tread Plus and their uh, ability to make crisp decisions that valued all stakeholders, including the customers who buy their equipment. And they were sort of like at their second strike with us when we treated this issue several months ago. That's also in the mix when you look at Peloton going forward. So I'm 50-50 on it. I see the potential to rebound. Now, is this going to be a killer company that takes over the consumer goods market? Probably not. But in terms of how long one might hold it, that that jury is, I think, still out a little bit. And last point on that that price point, the fact that stock is down 75%. Um, we purposefully picked a mix of stocks that leaned towards growth, uh, leaned towards technology, in their business models. Sleep number is another example of that. They're being challenged just now by supply chain shortages, especially for chips, because they use a lot of technology in their beds. Um, And this was right at the peak, I think, of this cycle for growthier stocks. We've seen those valuations since January start to decline. Part of this is just timing. I think that'll smooth out. Um, And if we come up with another basket I suggested you maybe we should do this in February or March on Motley Fool Money. We'll call that the redemption basket. We'll probably get better multiples and and maybe look much better at the end of the next year. So some of this is just short-termism when, when I look at it. Uh, still overall really confident in the brands. And just to remind um, everyone, Emily already read through these uh, brands, but just to remind everyone, um, we've got Beyond Meat in there, very strong brand in this industry. Of course, Sleep Number, Dollar General, grocery outlet, and we have Peloton. Well, I'm really excited to see what comes for these businesses. I will say, as far as Peloton goes, I was a shareholder in Fitbit, also somewhat against my better judgment back in the day, and uh, still very much believed in the future of, of not just connected fitness, but the data and the information they collected. Um, I held those Fitbit shares until they were acquired by Google. Um, I expect that I will do the same with Peloton. Not that Peloton will be acquired by Google, but um, this is not the type of company that I'm ready to throw my hands up on. And perhaps it's it's for the worst, but I'm I tend to be that person where I'd, I'd rather 
hold on and see what happens as opposed to sell out too early. I'll let my winners win and my losers, I guess they'll just continue to lose. So with Peloton down nearly 75%, um, it's hard to see that business coming back to its heyday, if I'm honest. Um, So if you're not a long-term investor in that sense, maybe no reason in holding on and seeing what is going to happen. But for me and my portfolio, I certainly am. Yeah, same. And with that, I I, I know that we're going to be following up on these companies, again, with Motley Fool Money and the future, talking more consumer goods, of course. But I kind of want to get your thoughts, your reflections on what it means to be a consumer goods investor. When you look across your portfolio, what stands out to you maybe as either one of your best investments or your best lesson that you've received from investing in the consumer goods industry? So I guess my first lesson is that this is an industry that doesn't lend itself to fast growth, but you can buy some phenomenal companies that will uh, pay you great dividends and will have slow and steady growth over the years. I've been a Coca-Cola shareholder for a long time. That's done very well for me. A number of other stocks in my portfolio have sort of the same flavor of of Coca-Cola. But then I do invest in tech names like Sleep Number. And also, this industry occasionally has some very fun ideas that you can invest in um, and do very well if you're alert. So I'll just give two quick examples because they're they're both like favorite uh, pet children of mine. And now that I, you know, we've taken the lumps <laughs> for our performance on this uh, to a positive side at the height of the pandemic, I think in March of uh, 2020, I was talking up two stocks I'd recently purchased on our live show, Motley Fool Live. One was Land's End and one was Funko, which makes the little bobblehead toys and licenses out. It's basically an intellectual property play. Now, neither one of those is going to be a a software as a service type growth company, but they were both battered down at that point and they obviously had a future. Again, really strong brands, both of these companies, cash flow positive very decent management teams, not your typical foolish picks, Emily. It's not like we have high like founder involvement and all those other characteristics we're always talking about, but they made sense at the time. And I thought, look, the, the bottom here isn't going to be that deep. These are consumer goods stocks, so I'll take a chance. And they both performed really well. They've been multi-baggers since March of um, 2020. And so, I say that to to note that you can have fun in this sector as well. You can build a base of these steady eddy stocks and then sprinkle in more adventurous names like we did. Beyond Meat, I still have a lot of confidence in. I like these two fun stocks. My portfolio is still holding on to Land's End and Funko um, now and and intend to uh, as we go on. So, what are your uh, sort of takeaways on this front? I, if you'll let me drone on, I will drone on forever, but I'll try to summarize it down. The one thing I will say quickly is the episode that's going to air tomorrow, which I believe is our last industry focus episode in its current form, uh, the host and I all sit down together and talk about some of the stocks that have taught us the biggest lesson. And I talk about a consumer goods business in that episode. I won't, I won't spoil it for anybody who's going to listen tomorrow, but I'll talk about a different business today, also a consumer goods business, of course. And that's actually a grow generation. Um, The ticker is GRWG. And I'm going to tie this back to Peloton because I mentioned at the offset that there's this voice in my head whenever I I get in on companies that are kind of innovative, disruptive, have a lot of skepticism behind them, that 
it's easy to be a pessimist, right? That little voice in my head, it's really easy to be like, oh, this isn't going to work. I'm a total curmudgeon about it. And it's been by far the biggest aspect that has held me back as an investor is assuming the worst and not hoping for the best. And as a result, it's easy for me to miss out on great opportunities. And I don't regret my investment in Peloton because it could have gone the other way. And I could have let that little voice win and then be kicking myself on missing out on a company that has done really well. And grow generation is kind of the exact opposite of what we saw happen with Peloton. Um, it was a company, still is a company that operates kind of in the consumer goods space, although I'll say it's, it's a retail company, but it does service uh, largely professional cannabis growers. They're a retailer of hydroponic equipment. I know we've talked about this company on the show in the past. Um, I run a cannabis portfolio here at The Fool, so obviously we've talked about it in the context of that cannabis portfolio. But I was a skeptic of this business. I thought, oh man, Home Depot's just going to eat this company's lunch, right? They're, they're not going to be able to get off the ground. There's so many hydroponic retailers. This is such a small company. They don't have a differentiated strategy. And that was a big critical problem of mine at the time was I don't get what they're doing that other companies aren't. And so for that reason, I was a I was a skeptic. And then, you know, as I watched the pandemic come through, sweep through the first half or so of 2020, saw this company get hammered. I thought to myself, well, are you just are you saying this because you're a skeptic? Or you're letting, not letting the numbers, I guess, speak for themselves. And the numbers that we saw coming out of Grow Generation at that time, despite the stock getting hammered, were actually really impressive. So I took a very small starter position in both the cannabis portfolio here at The Fool, as well as my own portfolio. And it was my first 10 bagger, so more than 900% return on that investment. Um, and despite all the skepticism, right, there was a short report actually shortly after we purchased in the portfolio that felt like it was that confirmation bias. I shouldn't have done this bad investment. The company has performed really, really well in part because they targeted a niche market that others weren't willing to penetrate, weren't willing to consciously go after. And I downgrade or deplayed that, I says, down, downplayed that, there we go, <laughs> in my own head. So for that reason, when I see companies like Peloton and Grow Generation, um, I'm happy to take chances on the companies that maybe I'm a skeptic about at first because the ones that do do well tend to do very, very, very well, right? Um, you can get 900, 1,000% return on an investment, but you can only lose 100%. So I guess it's a long, really roundabout way of saying that you can let your winners win, let your losers lose, but your winners will, as, as Grow Generation has in my portfolio versus Peloton, make up for those losers over time. So interesting, Emily, because I think this is something that I try to apply in the my general investing realm, but you need this muscle even more in this space. Um, I often ask myself something, I'll try to verbalize it like this. It's not a sentence that I verbalize this is something now intuitively I do almost reflexively, which is to say to my inner voice, okay, am I being skeptical or am I failing to exercise my imagination? Because I've been a skeptic in the past. It's kept me out of some great investments. And I think this is part of the journey of becoming a great investor. Um, not that either of us are, are great invest investors. I think we strive to be. We're still on the learning curve. Emily's further along than, than I will, I, I will say. But, but here's the deal. You have to flex you got to flex that muscle, that creativity muscle, that imagination muscle. That's the entry point. And then I think you loop back around with the skepticism to then 
push against that. And it's not that you have to look at every last stock and say, how could this be a multi-bagger? After some uh, growth of, of your investing muscles, you'll get a facility with looking pretty quickly and saying, well, I know this ain't going anywhere. And Emily, we looked at so many S1s over the last year or two, prospectuses. It was sort of like a communal muscle with, with our listeners that we all developed after a while, everyone pretty much knew, I think, what Emily was going to like wrinkle her nose at or what Asset was going to scoff at, right? <laughs> and then there were the, the companies that we both gravitated towards. So, it's different for every investor. But you got to get to that place where something sparks your curiosity and interest, let your imagination run some, and then try to come in and figure out how it could go wrong. I think if you do that, you'll end up taking more positions in potentially great stocks and um, not be as not feel as beat up for you know because for every peloton there is a growth generation it's just out there for you to find it and take a position get get some of that skin in the game well if if you don't mind me pontificating some more here on this Please. this last episode i have to say when i reflect on the last few episodes I say the last few, really the last year of episodes you've done on, uh, on consumer goods. There are just so many amazing companies that I'm excited to see what the future holds for. Um, I had Olaplex and Sandmeats on earlier, right? Talked about Olaplex. I think about Sweet Green. I think about the Brilliant Earth, Farfetch, Revolve, the Real Real. I mean, that entire industry of what is resold and 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 resale clothing. I mean. These are companies and industries that are really just at the beginning of their growth story. And I, I feel like it's a it's a bittersweet moment. I, I know that this new podcast, it's going to be everything you're getting in industry focus times 100. It's going to be wonderful. Um, but I hope that investors don't let those little small corners of the consumer goods market go unnoticed. Uh, if you're not pushing yourself as an investor to cons- constantly find these new ideas, right? Push yourself a little bit out of your comfort zone, your consumer goods bounds here. Um, Expand the definition of what is a consumer goods company as we have done so many times on this podcast, then I think you're probably really going to be missing out over the long term. For sure. And the ideas keep coming. I mean, the IPO market is very robust in the United States. It has been, despite years of prediction of doom and gloom, there's tons of innovation going on. I was thinking as you were giving that list, Emily, of companies like Allbirds and Onshoes, which are employing this great mix of high tech and um, sort of resilient, sustainable processes, which you can feel good about investing in. Almost every week, you get a fun prospectus to read through. And you have that, if you've got an hour or two, you don't have to be a financial whiz. You don't have to be an accountant. You can read the letter from the CEO, let your imagination run some. If you don't like it, put it away. There's there's no dearth of, of ideas that are coming straight at you. And I think at least um, this is the thing, maybe if I had one takeaway, it's, it's that discipline of looking at the ideas of, of not putting it off because, yeah, prospectus is a long document. <laughs> I learned because we're both very busy. Sometimes you don't have that much time, but but you get a talent for extracting what you need out of it. Um, and then you can go back, Google up some fun stuff that's peripheral. I always tried to do that and, and tried today to, to do that too. Maybe a, a podcast that's already treated it or something about the founders. Fill in those details so you, you flesh in the narrative. That's very important in the consumer goods sector, don't you think? 
Definitely. And I know personally, despite the fact that, Asit, you and I still continue to work together and all the listeners will still continue to hear us on on the new podcast on Motley Fool Money, I have to say one thing after the last you know, couple of years of working with you on Industry Focus is whenever I do read through a prospectus, I, I always hear your voice in the back of my head. There's this little constant, you know, what would Osset say about this? What would Osset think about this? And it certainly helped me grow as an investor. And I hope for all the listeners out there who have, uh, I guess, listened alongside us. And I know I've only been here a short amount of time. Many of our listeners have been here uh, much longer than me, maybe even longer than you, Osset. Although that's a that's a you know tall tall order there. But I hope we've all kind of grown as investors throughout this and we'll continue to grow with Motley Full Money. So again, if you're not subscribed, go do that right now. If you haven't already, do it. Yeah, for sure. Make sure that you make that new podcast part of your daily diet. And uh, Emily, my last uh, thoughts are, I have to say the same. And this is partly a function because behind the scenes, we work on other products together. But I do have that Emily voice in there, which is keeping me honest and, and making sure that I look at the internal controls of the company to make sure that I have scoured those numbers and have a good argument there and also understand where the company could go. And I also I always hear our listeners in the background, the questions that we've gotten over so many episodes, all the fun and interesting insights that they bring. That's always in my head, not just with this, but but in everything that I do. Wonderful. Well, Asit, uh, thank you again so much for joining me, uh, not just today, but for all the episodes uh, we've had the pleasure of doing that you've had the pleasure of doing as host in the past. It's always been a blast. Same here. Thanks so much, Emily. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or just want to reach out, you can still shoot us an email at industryfocus@fool.com. You can still find us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus. But as always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear, but do follow us at Motley Fool Money. We're not done yet. Thanks to Tim Sparks for his work behind the screen today. For Asit Sharma, I'm Emily Flippin. Thanks for listening and fool on. Mm-hmm.